This morning we are going to study one of the chief titles of Jesus. The most frequently used title for Jesus in the New Testament is Jesus the Christ. The second most frequently used title for Jesus in the New Testament is Jesus the Lord. Today, we are going to study neither one of those two titles. Rather, we are going to look at the third most popular title for Jesus in the New Testament. Although, this title is number one with respect to Jesus' self-designation. In other words, it was his favorite title for himself. This title occurs 85 times in the New Testament, and in almost every single case, it is used by Jesus to describe himself. The title to which I am referring is Jesus, the Son of Man. Where are just a few of the many places in the New Testament in which Jesus used this title for himself? And more importantly, what was Jesus saying about himself, about his identity, about his activity, when he referred to himself as the Son of Man? These will be the two parts of our message of today. A brief look at a few of the locations where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, and what we are to understand about Jesus in the title, Son of Man. I'd like to say something uh, that R.C. Sproul has uh, taught me at this point. The Jesus we believe, the, the Jesus we trust, must be true if we are to be saved. A false Jesus or a substitute Jesus cannot save. Apart from the Bible, we know nothing of consequence of the real Jesus. Ultimately, our faith stands or falls with the biblical Jesus. Our study today, then, of the biblical Jesus, is an extremely important one. So please, join me in prayer as I ask the Lord to help us to really enter into this time for his honor and our blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to... Uh, Help us as we uh, look into uh, your Son, uh, the Lord Jesus, the uh, Son of Man. Help us to be interested 
help our hearts to yearn to embrace the truths that we will learn about him. Help us to be thankful that you have given us your word to teach us about your son. And once again, Heavenly Father, we ask that you in your grace will be here and will really work through this message to your honor. We pray to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Point one, where are a few locations in which Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Look first with me at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, John chapter 3. After Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the necessity of being born again by the Holy Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God, about the necessity of a spiritual birth in order to enter the kingdom of God. He says to Nicodemus in verses 14 and 15 about himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. How does Jesus refer to himself, to Nicodemus, in his conversation with him? What does he say in reference to giving him identity, giving him a title? Who is he? He is the Son of Man. And by the way, I hope you saw in those two verses that Jesus, as the Son of Man, says to have eternal life, belief in him is also absolutely necessary. Look with me now at Mark chapter 2, the story of Jesus healing a paralytic who had been carried to him by four men. You will remember in this story that the first thing Jesus did to the paralytic is he forgave him his sins. The first thing he did was he forgave him his sins. Verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the religious leaders who were present didn't appreciate that, however, they thought that Jesus was blaspheming in saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. Look at verses 8 through 12. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. 
And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus did forgive that man his sins. And Jesus has forgiven me my sins. And Jesus has forgiven you your sins if you are trusting in him as your savior from sin and the Lord of your life. And on this occasion, Jesus says here that he is the son of man. To Nicodemus, in the well-known discourse with him in John 3, Jesus presents himself as the son of man. To other religious leaders, at the healing of the paralytic, Jesus refers to himself with the title, the son of man. How are we to understand that? He says that over and over and over about himself. Well, let's look at another place first, though. Turn now to Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. These verses read, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Why didn't he say, and I, and I am going to be? Why did he say, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law? They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. You are familiar with Jesus predicting his final sufferings. Jesus saying to his disciples that he would be betrayed, he would be condemned, he would be mocked, beaten, crucified. Here is one of those places where he does that. And in doing that, he calls himself to his disciples now, the Son of Man, to Nicodemus, to other religious leaders, to his disciples, the Son of Man. He wants to be known as the Son of Man. Probably hundreds of times he referred to himself in that way. The number one way he referred to himself. Last location, one of my favorites, Mark 14, verses 61 and 62. Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish governing body. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin had been looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. They, however, could not find any such evidence evidence. Once again then, the high priest asks Jesus, verse 61b, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus replies in verse 62, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, 
and coming on the clouds of heaven. Why did he not simply stop with, I am the Christ? Why not, I am the Christ, I am the Son of the Blessed One? Why also, and I am the Son of Man? The number one self-designation of Jesus is this particular title. We can find around 80 times in the Gospels where Jesus says this title in reference to himself. But now, let's go into our second point, which is, what does this mean? What was Jesus saying about himself, his person, his work, when he referred to himself as the Son of Man? Let me give a quote here by R.C. Sproul. In the New Testament, we find that Jesus is called both the Son of Man and the Son of God. Those two titles appearing in this way, like, you know, right next to each other, Son of God, Son of Man, offer a strong temptation to assume that Son of God refers exclusively to Jesus' deity and Son of Man refers exclusively to his humanity. Says R.C., that way of approaching these titles, however, would lead us into serious error. Let me give four parts to understanding the title Son of Man. A, Son of Man refers to Jesus being a heavenly being. Again, if we don't study scripture, this, this kind of hits us as a contradiction. Son of Man, heavenly being. But that is an understanding that we're to take into Son of Man. Who is Jesus? We learn from this title that he is a heavenly being. The title, Son of Man, comes from the Old Testament. There are references to the figure of the Son of Man in Ezekiel and in Daniel. I have read that the consensus is that Jesus takes the meaning of the term Son of Man as it is found in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. See those verses with me at this time. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Here's the background for understanding Son of Man. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel's words about the Son of Man are exalted words. They are not too lowly. 
And one of the things Daniel tells us in his words about the Son of Man is he is a transcendent figure. He is a heavenly being. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He had authority, he had glory, he had sovereign power. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that those words fit us? No. Jesus, the Son of Man, he's from heaven. He is a heavenly being. Some of us are perhaps thinking, yes, yes, when Jesus was here, on a number of occasions, he talked about the idea of coming from heaven. Yes, yes, I, I see that now. Let me give you one of those locations. Earlier, we looked at John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Look now at John chapter 3, verse 13. Conversation with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 13. He says to Nicodemus this, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is a heavenly being, but we're not finished. Jesus isn't just any heavenly being, is he? He's not an angel. He's not an archangel. He is none other than God himself. Did you pick up that Daniel, in writing about the Son of Man, did so in language reserved for God alone? Listen to verse 14 of Daniel chapter 7. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. Language reserved for God alone. I've had people say, you know, I just don't find Jesus claiming to be God in the Bible. Son of man. Every time he referred to himself as the son of man, he was saying that he was a heavenly being, none other than God. Over and over, he claimed it. Before the high priest, when Jesus was asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? He replied, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. We go back to Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Remember? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Jesus, the Son of Man, first of all means that he is a heavenly being, actually God, 
actually the Lord God. And so for this time of the year, uh, the Christmas season, let me say this. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is nothing less than God coming. Oh, how we have cheapened Christmas. Christmas is nothing less than God coming to earth to save us from his just wrath. Isn't that remarkable? God came to save us from his proper punishment. What an incredible day Christmas is. But now B, Son of Man also refers to Jesus one day coming in glory and power. Jesus at Christmas didn't come in glory and power. Even though he is God, his first coming was a coming in humility. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us that Jesus' first coming included these elements. Being born as a man, being born into a poor family, being made subject to the law, suffering the miseries of this life, the anger of God and the curse of death on the cross, being buried and remaining under the power of death for a time. The first time for our salvation, Jesus went through great humiliation. But that is not the whole story. That is not the complete picture. One day, Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will return in glorious splendor. He will return highly exalted. And that is also in the title, Son of Man. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Verse 14, he was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Does Jesus... Does Jesus really spell that out, though, or am I taking Daniel 7 too far? Well, look with me at Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus says here about himself as the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. By the way, I don't want you to miss this. All the angels with him. How many would that be? Revelation chapter 5 verse 11 talks about 10,000 times 10,000 in reference to the angels. Uh, that would be 10 million. But that's a phrase 
that's not meant to be taken literally. It's a phrase that is meant to say to us that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he will return with an indefinitely large number of angels. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Son of Man, heavenly being, none other than God, who will return one day in heavenly glory and power. Perhaps you have been pushing this Jesus aside. He is not that important. What are you going to do when Jesus returns? Perhaps you have had little interest in him. Perhaps you have been too busy for him. There have been other things, quite frankly, that have consumed your life. What are you going to do when this Jesus returns? Perhaps you have lived your life apart from him. What are you going to do when he comes sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven? What are you going to do when you realized that you've blown it with your life? Why will Jesus return in great glory and power? What will that be about? Well, we're ready to move on to see another thing we want to put in our minds to understand Jesus' title, Son of Man. The title, Son of Man, tells us that when Jesus returns, he will do so to judge the world. Let me use R.C. Sproul once again from his book, Who is Jesus? He does a very brief treatment of uh, Son of Man, but he does a treatment of other titles for Jesus too. Good little booklet. This is what R.C. Sproul says. The Son of Man in Daniel 7 is a heavenly being who will descend to the earth to exercise the role of supreme judge. We forget that sin is rebellion against God. That sin is insubordination against God. We forget that we have sinned against God. And God will deal with the sinner. My friends, if we don't receive Jesus as the Savior, then Jesus... The Savior will be Jesus, the judge. Look again at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Now here it is. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It is true, there will be a judgment of God one day. There will be a judgment day. There will be a day of reckoning. And the Son of Man will do the reckoning. He will do the judging. Big deal? When I lived in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, I became friends with a young man by the name of Bill. Bill became a Christian, and he immediately began to tell other people of Jesus Christ. One Saturday night, there was a, a knock on my door. I, I, I went to the door, and there was Bill with this other young man. And Bill said to me, Dave, I, I've been talking to so-and-so about the Lord Jesus. I brought him over so that you could talk to him as well. He's not a believer. On another occasion, Bill said to me, I was at this gas station, and I got talking to a man who works there, and I got talking to him about the Lord Jesus, and he stopped me, and he said to me, look, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. I know that, but that's okay. My friends will be there. Honestly, I, I got right in my car and drove over to that gas station, and the man was there. And I started to talk to him. And he said the same thing to me. Look, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. But that's okay. My friends will be there. Please listen. Hell will not be a place of enjoying your friends. God's judgment will not be a ticket to some kind of wonderful social gathering. It will be a big deal. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 and following, describe the idea of how awful hell is going to be for those who are apart from Christ. Revelation 6, let me just jump in and start reading at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? God's judgment is a time of great wrath, a time of eternal wrath where unrepentant sinners Receive what they deserve. It is a big deal. And once again, the Son of Man will be the judge on that day of judgment. When the high priest said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming in the clouds of heaven. He was actually saying to the high priest, and one day you're going to stand before me and I will be your judge. 
But why will you eternally die? Jesus has done everything for your deliverance. He has gone to the cross and paid the penalty for sin. He has lived a life of righteousness, a life of perfect obedience to the Lord God. He has done it all. Why, then, will you eternally die? As Paul said to the Philippian jailer who asked, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. One more important thing about the title, Son of Man. This will be D. There is an element of Jesus being a man in it as well. Son of Man does not leave out the idea of humanity, of Jesus being human, uh, a, a human being too doesn't leave that element out, it's also there. Remember Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. I'll start with verse 18. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. That Jesus is a man is pointed out here, and that he would suffer as a man for us, and that he would suffer as a man for our salvation is also in the title. And so here is the picture for us this morning in reference to this title of Jesus. He's a heavenly being, God, who one day will come in power and great glory to righteously judge the world, but he will not do that until he first comes to earth and also becomes a man to save his people from his coming judgment. But he will not do that until he first comes to earth and also becomes a man and accomplishes everything that is needed to save his people from his coming judgment. I think here of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, when Paul wrote, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, indeed he was God with all glory, with all authority, with all power, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He became a man so that you through his poverty might become rich. What love we see in the Lord Jesus. What grace. Before he comes to judge, he comes to save. One more time. Why? Why? Will you eternally die? Jesus has done everything for your salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for 
what we have learned today in reference to your son. It kind of reminds me that, wow, there is so much more I could learn in reference to him. But thank you for teaching us what you have today. Now, Heavenly Father, again, we ask that you would work in reference to this message and that you would use it for your glory. Work graciously, work mercifully in our lives with these truths and work in such a way that once again, you and the Son and the Holy Spirit are greatly honored. In Jesus' name, amen.